what what I feel um, is available to you at this stage is once again, knowing why you're doing this, okay? If you really have something to say at this point, you really need to say it. Right. Now is the moment to say it. Um, and finding out how to say it is, of course, the artist's task. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. It's February 25th as I record this, and hello, how are you? Welcome to the next season of Persistence You with Lisbeth. Right at this moment, I'm sitting outside of my Airbnb on the big island in Hawaii. My two daughters are out having fun somewhere, picking me up some beet salad for dinner. And we have had a beautiful visit. We truly have. Plenty of time for moving around the island. Some snorkeling. We even got to see some manta ray in the sea last night and snorkeled with them. Kind of scary, not gonna lie. We've had plenty of time for arguments to spark and even more time to resolve them. Wonderful food, great company, and it has been such a joy. I know I mentioned this on Facebook, but it really didn't occur to me until I'm on my way to Hawaii my kids live in Alaska. You probably know this if you've been at Persistence U for a while. My daughters who are grown in their 30s live in Alaska. I did move away to the south a couple of years ago, so it's so special for us to get together. But Hawaii is even more special because I had planned a trip 30 years ago, almost exactly, just off welfare, out of shelter living, barely had two nickels to rub together. (laughs) But I had friends who said, hey, if you would book tickets to Hawaii and from Alaska where we lived then altogether, it was very inexpensive. Hawaii is really cheap as far as airfare sometimes. So they said, hey, if you buy your own tickets for you and the girls, you could stay with us and food will be included. It'll be perfect. And I jumped on that because I was 29 and had 10 cents in the bank and bought those tickets. And then my kids were taken out of country by their father. And I didn't see them again for two years. They were out of country, away for so long, and we had so much struggle ahead of us. We never did make that trip. Now, they've been to Hawaii. I've been individually, but we never as a family went. So it was so special to have these 12 days. It was just incredible. And I am deeply, deeply, deeply grateful that we could do it as adults. And thank you for being back with me on Persistence U. I'm going to make a few changes this season. Twice a month we'll go to podcasting as well as I've joined the Podnuga Network, and I will just kind of 
give the podcast a little bit of a facelift. I so love bringing you stories of persistence and resilience, but because I work full-time helping create documentaries and I work with survivors of crime, I need to delegate some of my tasks so I may use an editor here and there and will continue to niche down with my guests so that we really have people who are not particularly business people necessarily, but people who at least, it's not that they don't work in businesses or own their own businesses or whatever, but I do want stories of people who are survivors who've learned to thrive. I think if there's one thing the last many years have shown me is that life happens to all of us. So many things happen out of our control. We can't help that. But how we bounce, how we decide to heal, how we pursue it, that is what makes it magical. And not everyone does heal. And not everyone chooses to um, go on that journey. And not everyone, actually, there are people who actively resist healing or speaking about challenging times or reaching out and becoming a part of community. And that's definitely too bad because I, every day of my work life and my regular life, I see all that we can endure when we do it together. So thanks for being back. Love to see you. And I hope you'll like this season even more than last I love bringing these stories to you, and I so thank you for your support. Patrons, you have made it possible to offset the cost of this podcast, and I appreciate it very, very much. It helps me with my writing, and it helps with the podcasting. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, and I hope that you will enjoy Stephanie as much as I do, Stephanie and I have some connections and that we were both older people when we started writing. She has, of course, Greek heritage, and I kind of do by default, having married into the Greek <laughs> culture and having Greek children. Also, we are both first-generation uh, college graduates, and that brings with it a certain amount of pride and also humility because we understand very fully that we have privilege when we've had the opportunity to go to school. So I really enjoyed her and please listen in. Write me at lameredith.com if you choose. Don't forget to hop on to the email list. I email, I would say once, maybe twice a month and a little bit more as my next book comes closer to publication. So thanks so much. Have a great day and enjoy the listen. And if you really enjoy it, share it with a friend, please. It really, really helps me. Stephanie Kotzerillis, thank you for being here and kicking off Persistence Use fifth season. I am so honored that you are here with me today. The pleasure is mine. It's wonderful to meet you. It is wonderful to meet you. And we've chatted about the fact that we have Alaska connections, we have a Greek connection, you know, we it, it, we needed to be together to have this conversation. So I just am so grateful. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and how, what what is the story behind your story? Ah, 
Well, thanks for asking. And by the way, not too many people have both an Alaska connection and a Greek connection. What a combination. I love it. And even a Tennessee connection, which we'll talk about too. That's right. Well, I'm going to add to what I've already uh, told you that um, I am the granddaughter of Greek immigrants, some of whom could read and write and some of whom could not. And so the very idea of being a writer is a privilege. You know, those are the forebears who brought me to where I am now. And I'm doing things that particularly the women of that generation could not have dreamed of doing. My first language was Greek, by the way, not English, but I I learned English quite quickly, pardon me, um, after I learned Greek. And um, after going to school, I entered into the performing arts as a first career, which um, my grandmothers didn't particularly approve of, but there you have it. That's what I did. Of course they didn't. (laughs) Of course. Um, So I was in New York performing arts. I performed on Broadway, off Broadway, wrote some songs, scripts, lyrics, and um, had a had a really rich first go at it. I did that for about 15 years. And um, in an event that you and I may talk about some more, um, I found myself watching TV coverage of the Mexico earthquake of 1985. And I had a dear friend sitting on the sofa with me at my apartment. She and I had been in a Broadway show together. And I looked at the rescue dogs going in and out of the rubble, retrieving sense that led to the saving somebody's life. And I turned to my friend and said, you know what? I don't have a single skill set that those people need. It hit me in the heart. And despite the fact that I thought I would never be accepted in a law school, I started applying. It didn't hurt that everybody in my family was a lawyer, so they were quite supportive of this new direction. (laughs) Right. But within 18 months, I was in law school and practiced. After the death of my husband, I did move from New York to Maine. And over that time, you know, life has a funny way of calling you back. You think you're going along just fine. And I found in Maine that while translating my legal skills into consulting with nonprofits, here comes the Portland Ballet which needs a new executive director or an interim executive director while they search for their new one. And it happened to be me, the interim. Here I was in my office listening to the music of the Nutcracker, which I had studied as a small child, immersed in the arts again. I could smell the resin in my old ballet teacher's ballet studio and somehow there was a demand in my heart that said, you got to return. So I started taking lessons, meaning going to writers' conferences, um, registering for webinars, for seminars, anything I could get my hands on to advance my writing. And I returned to the arts and became a writer and published my first novella after the age of 70. Oh, I love that. And when you say Portland, by the way, you mean Portland, Maine. Uh, yes, most of us should think Oregon, but that's wrong. Oh, that's so exciting. So after the age of 70, you did it. You know, a lot of people will say, 
I used to think about being a writer, but you know, time got away from me and sure. That's not an excuse. If someone feels the calling, there's a lot of work to be done, but that's right. exciting. You know, I, I've, I've already mentioned to you, I believe that I won't lie that it's easy. Okay. Right. All right. It's not as though um, you have, you're in the same position as someone who is 30, 35, or 40 entering into the writing world. It isn't the same. Um, and you do, can't always connect with readers meaning getting your work in front of readers as easily, perhaps, as you might want. But what you do know is the reason you're writing. And if it's strong enough, then you have to do it. You just have to do it. And you've already lived the decades that came before, right? So you can write about those. But now you're writing about new decades that not everybody out there knows about. Go for it, right? I love it. And I think one advantage we spoke of earlier that we have as older women is we don't spend as much time thinking about what other people are, how they're judging us, if they're thinking about us, if it, if everything will fall flat and we'll never feel the same again about ourselves. Right. You know, there's a lot more confidence at times that uh, time brings with us, time and experience. Right. And so that's really a huge asset to the writing process. It is. I, I think you're totally right about that, though. Some days you wonder where that confidence has gone. But that's, you know, that's the human condition. That's just yes. how it is. What what I feel um, is available to you at this stage is, once again, knowing why you're doing this. OK, if you really have something to say at this point, you really need to say it. Right. Now is the moment to say it. Um, and finding out how to say it is, of course, the artist's task. How do I do this? Reading, 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 of course, studying, going to conferences like the Sewanee Writers Conference, which I mentioned to you earlier, which is in Tennessee. Beautiful. Which is a and it's a gorgeous place. I went there last summer and learned immense amounts with extraordinary people. At the end of the day, however, it's you and your computer or your pen, and you need to consult yourself and say, is this really what I need to do right now? And if it is, you absolutely have to do it. It's a great luxury, though. I'll tell you, Elizabeth, I understand. It's also a luxury. Let me not lie about this either. Um, I do not have to work for a living in the way I used to at the moment, and that isn't true of everybody. So I want to acknowledge the privilege that um, attaches to my being able to do this. I love it. And I will also say you've done some other amazing things to just enhance your writing skills, even though, honestly, being a lawyer, you're a writer right there. I mean, you're writing constantly as a lawyer, but you've done some other things. You went to Alaska, you've so can you explain some of the things you were willing to do to roll up your sleeves and present the best writing and storytelling you could? Yeah, great question, actually. Um, I'm going to start with a New York City conference that I went to. It's called the Writer's Hotel, and they also publish a journal every year. They're publishing their 10th anniversary journal called The New Guard. 
this year. And it's a beautiful volume. I just, I recommend it to people. Um, I decided on the advice of a friend that I needed to apply to this place. He said to me, I know that you're entering writing at a later phase of life, but do not pass up the idea of applying for this conference. I said, are you sure? He said, do it. I did it. And I got in and I attended for something like four or five years consecutively and met people from all over the globe. At that time, the conference was in New York City. And you went from one lecture to one workshop to the next workshop and so on and so forth. And it was the first time in my life that I brought something in which I was quite vulnerable. I was writing about my husband's death. And I brought this manuscript to the workshop and I will never forget the moment when after everyone had read it and given me their feedback verbally and in writing, they stood up all at once and handed me their written comments for me to look at later. It was as though 10 other people had stood up and said, I love you enough to give you this. And that is a beautiful way to look at it too. Not everyone receives feedback in that fashion, but that's the best way possible. That's an act of caring that they want you to be able to bring your best. That's right. And even if I disagreed later on with what they had written or thought, oh, we're not on the same page. You know, they stood up that day right. and said, I put this much into you here. So that was the first time that I put my work out there. And I was deeply grateful. One of the founders of that conference suggested the Story Knife Writers Retreat to me. And that was the Alaska retreat that I mentioned to you earlier when we spoke. This is a brilliant retreat. Every woman listening should consider applying to this retreat. Story Knife is its title because the founders are um, deeply respectful of Native Alaskan culture and the Native Alaskan women writers who populate Alaska. And they work together on this retreat. Story Knife refers to the, the utensil, the tool that Native Alaskan writers use to write stories in the snow. And so that's the title of this thing. They have created a compound in near Homer, Alaska on uh, Cook Inlet. There are six cabins, one for each writer who is accepted for that month. And they do this for the duration of five or six months. There is a main yes. cabin with, a, yes, a main cabin with a cook who cooks every night beautiful organic meals for you, delivers lunch to your cabin door. The executive director's office is in that main cabin. And to say it's exquisite doesn't begin to cover it. You are in view of Mount Iliamna, which is a volcano um, across the inlet. And you wake up to this jutting volcanic peak covered in blinding snow every morning. And in that setting, you write. You have a wood stove, actually a gas stove in your cabin. And it's a magnificent 
opportunity and a magnificent challenge. A month is a long time. That is a very long time. It is, but what a gorgeous retreat. As somebody who lived in Alaska forever, yeah. Homer is just magnificent. Such a place that inspires creativity. A lot of creatives live around the Homer yes. area. Yes, they do. How long did you live in Alaska? Elizabeth? More than 50 years. So oh. yes, more than 50 years. So I went as a toddler and moved here out of finally out of Alaska just two years ago. So the bulk of my life, unless I live to 100 and let's say 20, will always have been spent in Alaska. You know, that is for all intents and purposes, that was home. That was oh, home. That's extraordinary. And, you know, thank you for asking about putting yourself out there to risk being with other people. Sure. Right. I already told you about the New York Writers Hotel, which was just transformative. But deciding to get yourself to Alaska, you know, right? From, right. Port from Portland, Maine, where I live. On the continental, I had to cross a continent and then fly myself up to Alaska, by the way, during the tail end of COVID. Oh, so, yeah, they, they yes. had, I know, they had to cancel one of their seasons because it, the, the pandemic was just too active that year. But the second year, they figured if you masked along the way and you complied with their testing requirements before you got there and their masking requirements until you cleared the test, that they could do this thing. So you had to say to yourself, will I do this? And my answer was yes. That was a huge commitment of time and resources and a lot of faith. Yes. You know, you had to have faith in yourself to be able to make it a priority and do this. And it sounds like the outcome was pretty amazing. It so really then, cool. yes, what did you have by the time you left? What had you learned and what did you walk away with? How, what a wonderful question. I learned a lot about writing my second novel. It actually is my first standalone book was a novella, which is shorter. So I actually learned about writing the next piece, which was a novel. And um, I learned enormous amounts about the exploration of character, not all of which was going to survive in uh, a late draft. And I came away with 120 pages of that. Um, it was only the beginning, but I don't think I could have explored the characters in this novel without that level of persistence, to your point, yes. of persistence, you, because every day you got up and you said, I could let this day go. Nobody's checking up on you. Right. Or I could try to fill this day. And sometimes I found myself falling asleep. And sometimes I found myself looking out the window, of course. I would go for walks in the area and among these enormous pines. And I'd come back and ask myself, just do more. Just do more. It doesn't have to be perfect. Keep writing. And when I found myself up against a wall, I would say, what can you do now to get yourself up over or around this wall. And I found out that for me, that meant taking the characters I was writing and bringing them all together in a room and making them talk to each other. And suddenly I knew more about them. 
Oh, okay. Uh -huh. And suddenly I knew, oh my goodness, maybe, maybe the story of this novel will now go in another direction because they triggered one another, these characters. It's been a very long process, but that's that was the beginning of my learning about that novel. Oh, I think that's fantastic. So now you have your novella, you're in an anthology, if you could explain a little bit about that. Sure. And then you have more coming. Yeah, exactly. I'm in an anthology that um, I was very grateful to be involved in. It's um, a collection of Maine writers, actually New England writers, on the subject of food, family, and hunger. And the anthology was put together by two wonderful editors, Deborah Spark and um, Deborah I Corey. Okay. They wanted to put together an anthology that exposed and explored the reality of hunger in the state of Maine and elsewhere. Proceeds from this book, by the way, will go to a hunger-related organization in Maine. So it there's a social justice component to the entire, uh, right, the entire project. And they wanted to, people to um, submit to them essays about either hunger or what food meant to them and their family or obstacles in getting food or obstacles in loving food, something about food. So I submitted my essay and I was delighted to be included. It was about a Greek woman who lived with my family when I was a young young girl, because my mother was quite ill at the time, and she came, this woman came to help rate, help take care of us. My mother, who was getting better, was serving our dog. This is in northern Illinois, where I grew up. Was serving our dog her dinner. And my mother opened a can of wet dog food called Red Heart Dog Food. It's from way back. And she was spooning that into our dog's bowl. And the woman who took care of us looked at my mother and said, you feed that to your dogs? And my mother said, yes, well, yes. It turns out that the woman who cared for us had survived on that dog food after mm -hmm. World War II. And she told my mother that somehow, some way, her village located cans of this dog food. Either a truck had had overturned or something and had lived on that meat, that wet meat for a long time. My mother never served that dog food to our dog again, of course. But I learned that was one of the few stories about post-World War II in Greece that my mother told us about. It could even have been from the Greek Civil War. And from that story, I understood something about what my privilege was, what food meant to me, and what I didn't know about this woman who was living under the same roof with me. So I wrote an essay about it, and um, I connected it to many people here in Maine who are insecure about food, people all over the place, right. all over our country and the world who are not sure where their food is coming from and how much they had in, com in common with somebody who helped raise me. It was an extraordinary opportunity. That's beautiful. And also you 
it's easy to know your sense of purpose. And I'm sure that made it a little bit easier to finish. And then to have it help serve those who are food insecure, you know, that the proceeds went to different organizations. That's wonderful because it makes marketing the book a lot easier. And those are good lessons for you then to take to your novella, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I think these women who, the editors, who both of, certainly one of whom is a writer in her own right, understood very clearly what their position was with respect to the marketplace, not, you know, in an avaricious sense, but saying, this is our purpose in producing this book. And it's done, it's, they've done well with it, I think. That's beautiful. I, yeah. That's really a lovely story. Yeah. Um, what are you working on now? And how can people connect with you? Well, there you go. Um, I am working now on that novel that I was uh, working on at Story Knife. And it's a novel about a search for personal grace in very difficult circumstances. You'll see, as I describe it, how the law figures into my writing. It's about a murder victim's mother, her best friend, and a death row prison guard, all of whom resist the, the uh, capital punishment system and buck it in order to recover and reclaim their humanity when the state of Arkansas decides to execute eight men in 10 days. These characters ultimately say no. Now, it's not a polemic. It's about falling in love with these three people whom you never would put together otherwise and how they recover, I will call it grace, what they really mean to do with their lives. I love that. And especially with the exercise you talked about before, as you were at Story Knife, where you invited basically the characters to the table to you know, talk to each other, to get to know each other. That's right. That's right. So you can find not that novel, but certainly my novella and the anthology yes. at my website, which is my name, stephaniecotzerillis.com. Uh, would you like me to spell it for you? Yes. It, okay. I, I, it's a beautiful Greek name, and those are, you know, can be tricky for us. So, yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> so, Stephanie is S T E P H A N I E. Katsurilis is C O T S I R I L O S. And it's all one word, no caps, dot com. And there you will see that you can. Purchase my novella either as an ebook or uh, our uh, paperback through the normal outlets, uh, Barnes and Noble and Amazon and so forth. And you'll just get information about that and the anthology and journal articles and stuff like that. Fantastic. I very much enjoy that. Enjoyed that conversation because you've really invited people along your journey, but it could be theirs also. You never know. I hope so. I hope so. I think, you know, every minute you have, I sound a little bit corny now, but I mean it. I love it, yes. Every minute you have is a gift, even when it hurts like hell, because you're here, aren't you? Right. And um, go for it. I love that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this today. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. 
If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe. And I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.